Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and thank you for joining us. Well, you know, for the last two years or more, wherever I go in this country, there are two questions I know I'm going to be asked more than any others. First, what the hell happened to Tucker Carlson? Second, what the hell happened to Lindsey Graham? To which I usually answer, damn, I don't know. But today, thanks to the Bulwark's Will Salatin, we have the answer to at least one of those questions. Will's written an important new book available on Kindle called The Corruption of Lindsey Graham, which documents how Graham transitioned from Trump arch-critic to Trump sycophant. But it's more than that. As the subtitle says, Salatan also paints Lindsey Graham as, quote, a case study in the rise of authoritarianism and reveals how vulnerable democracy is to the threat of an authoritarian ruler. For all of us, Salatan's book should be a real wake-up call, and he joins us today to talk all about it. Well, Salatan, welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Good to connect. Uh, thanks, Bill. I'm great. It's great to be here with you. So I, I read your book. I have to tell you, um, you did a great job, I think, on two levels. One, tracing this bizarre, bizarre trajectory of, uh, of Lindsey Graham from defector to defender of Donald Trump. Uh, but also warning about the dangers of this drift toward authoritarianism, uh, even in our democracy. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about both both those levels of, of your book. But let's start with uh, Senator Graham. The question you must get asked all the time, and so do I, how did Lindsey Graham go from being John McCain's best friend one day and Donald Trump's friend, best friend the next day? So the, the interesting thing that I found is it's not it's not one day versus the next day, right? It's it's a slow process, and people mm -hmm. forget this. Um, but it took a long time for Lindsey Graham to go from being the senator, possibly the politician who was most clear about Donald Trump's danger to America and to democracy, yeah. to becoming Donald Trump's best buddy and his chief enabler and, and apologist. And so what I've tried to document in this story is the gradual process. I described it to one of my editors as watching a frog boil, you know, the frog's <laughs> so that the frog's temperature changes gradually. You immerse Lindsey Graham in this Trump world and he gradually adopts the psychology of Trump and his enablers. And and what's scary about it to me, Bill, is you know, a lot we look back today and say, okay, Lindsey Graham was just a weasel or he was spineless or he was a coward. But that's not true. Lindsey Graham was actually one of the people who you would have least expected for this to happen to. And the fact that it happened to him should alarm all of us about what, what could happen to us and to our country. 
And the, and the explanation is because it's so gradual, you don't realize that it's happening to you. So um, I remember, and you, you point out several instances uh, along this path, right? Which, which of course was a slow path and you documented so well, but I'd forgotten about some of them. For example, he held out, he was, you, you, you're right, the most outspoken critic of Donald Trump among the 16 candidates or whatever who were running, right? And he held mm-hmm. out to the end, endorsing Ted, when it came down to Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, that famous uh, 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 statement he made, it's a choice between getting shot or being poisoned, right? Right. And, and he went for poison. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and the, you know, it would have been one thing people forget is that Lindsey Graham and Paul Ryan and all of these guys who came around to Trump in 2016, 2017, they all thought he was going to lose. They all thought that, OK, we'll support him for the nomination. But in the general election, you know, we just want him to do well enough that we can keep control of Congress. But he's not going to actually be president. And so, you know, when yeah. when it when it actually happened, then they had to sort of they had to reckon with that but yeah they were they were not prepared for that at all um is it the case that in the end we're talking again in this primary in 2016 that that Lindsey Graham just said well i got to accept the inevitable he's a nominee and i want the republicans to win so what the you know wtf i'm stuck yeah. with trump right 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 the uh, you know the, the the poison thing was because if I believe Graham's original description was that Trump was a shot to the head and that Cruz was the poison. And then he sort of changes right. his mind yeah. about this, right? Yeah. And so so if it had happened the way that Graham and Ryan and these other guys thought, if Trump had actually, you know, imploded and and failed to get elected, right, then it's conceivable that they could have come to their senses. And it's because he was the poison. It's because it moved slowly and because he actually got elected that that it then infected the rest of the party. Um, so they were, they were, yeah, they were, they were not prepared for a scenario in which this guy would become president and then they would have to gradually accommodate everything he became and did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you point out that once he was elected, then it shifted right from, okay, we got to back him because he's, he's the nominee and I'm a Republican to really wanting to be, you use the phrase in and I think Lindsey Graham used it in Trump's orbit, right? He wanted right. to be inside. He wanted to to be a player, right? So there are these. You know, we're talking about the frog boiling. So there are these points in the story at which Graham sinks deeper and deeper. And so one of them is when you know Trump gets elected. Well, now the guy is going to be president, right? He's going to be making foreign policy. And people are a little, a lot of liberals are unfair to Lindsey Graham. He he really does care a lot about foreign policy. And so Trump comes in and Trump is an isolationist. And Graham tells himself, well, you know, I want the I want the United States to be strong in NATO. I want them to stand up to Russia. I want to stand up to Syria. And how am I going to get this guy to so so he works his way into the orbit with the with these policy ideas in mind, right? And for mm-hmm. the first half, for the first several months of Trump's presidency, it's all working out swimmingly for Graham because he actually is getting access to Trump and he's influencing Trump's decisions. He's particularly in Syria at that point. And then Trump does what an autocrat does, which was at that point he fired Jim Comey, right? He he fired the guy in charge of the Russia investigation. So now you have this new level of, well, gosh, 
Graham and these other guys are, they're quite invested. Trump, uh, Graham in particular is quite invested in Trump at this point because he's he's driving foreign policy, which is the next best thing to him, to Graham actually being president. But now he's got to rationalize, he's got to justify the firing of the guy running the investigation of the president, which is an authoritarian act. And that's the beginning of a series of authoritarian moves that Graham rationalizes so that he can stay in the orbit, so that he can influence policy. It's it, it, And you point out, it seems that Lindsey Graham, and you could add Kevin McCarthy, and you could add a host of others to this list, they really thought in the beginning that they could change Trump, right? They could temper him, right? Mm-hmm. They, could cha- uh, they could influence him. Um, but it was really Trump who rolled right, right over them, right? I mean, he conned them all. Right. You know, this is this really began when Trump when uh, Trump started wrapped up the nomination in 2016. So prior to that, Lindsey Graham was doing everything he could to stop Trump from getting the nomination. And Graham had a very clear picture of who Trump was. Trump was fundamentally an autocrat. He wanted to be an autocrat. He had contempt for all rules. He cared about nothing for himself. He was ethnically and religiously dangerous, trying to ban Muslims and so forth. And so that was an analysis of Trump's character. Then Trump gets the nomination, and now Graham wants Trump to do well in the general election because he's at the top of the ticket. So now Graham starts to coach Trump. And Mm. it wasn't just Graham. There were a whole series of other Republican, leading Republican politicians who did the same thing. They would say to Trump, you know, you know, try try not to talk about that. Try not to. Can you please not actually say you're going to ban Muslims? Can you (laughs) change it to like some language about the countries that they came from? And and so is this coach mentality that takes them away. It allows them to stop focusing on character. But because character endures, Bill, because personality drives everything, Trump just continues to pile up more and more attacks on yeah. the system, on the institutions. And so it, it you know, the, the excuse that they're going to focus on whatever was the latest thing Trump did, that just blinds them to the fact that they're going to go ever deeper into rationalizing this stuff. Uh, and the other thing I found stunning, and I hadn't really thought of it until, again, reading your book, is that um, Lindsay and others turned democ- kind of turned democracy upside down, right? I mean, so here's this clear, fair, authoritarian figure, you know, a contradictory to democracy, and Lindsay defended him by saying, well, the people like him, right? The people chose him. Uh, the party, the Republicans chosen to be their nominee. Therefore, he proves that democracy works when he was doing just the opposite. Right. You know, there's this there's this wonderful I, I, I can't say wonderful, but there was a memorable moment from the confirmation hearings for what what was then Judge Neil Gorsuch, now now yep. justice in March of 2017. So this is a couple of months into Trump's presidency. And Graham's at this hearing and he talks about how, you know, he didn't expect Trump to win. And he says, you know, obviously, obviously I didn't expect him to win saying all the things I said, but the American public chose him, chose, didn't, didn't care what I said. And, and that's fine. He says, that's, I accept that. So he's erasing, Graham, Graham's erasing this mm-hmm. very direct, very clear, very accurate character indictment he had of Trump in 20. 20- Trump is still the same guy. He's still just as dangerous. But Graham's using the votes of the people to erase that, to say, because Trump won, the people are always right. And therefore, Trump must have been a good guy the whole time. And everything I said about him being a bad guy was wrong. So 
bizarrely, the idea of America as this perfect democracy allowed Graham and people like him to whitewash uh, the truth about Trump. So then Trump gets in the White House, and as you point out, so in the first few, it didn't take long, right? <laughs> in the first few months he's in the White House, uh, Trump, you have a little list here of things that he accomplished. He, um, of course, insisted that he won the popular vote, not just the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. um, he denied that there was any foreign interference in the election. He defended the use of torture. He attacked the media, the enemy of the American people. He accused Obama of wiretapping his office, and he instituted this Muslim ban. And Lindsey Graham basically went along with all of it. Right, right. And, you know, at that point, it's a it's a straightforward trend. I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a point where Graham essentially concedes that he's doing a transaction. And the transaction is yeah. influence in foreign policy in exchange for allowing Trump to do what he wants to do at home. But the, the, the irony, of course, Bill, is that what Trump was doing at home was destroying democracy and the rule of law. So here's Graham talking about all the values he cares about in other countries. And meanwhile, in our own country, we have an, yeah. an incipient autocrat destroying our institutions and ever expanding his own power and threatening minorities. And and the same senator who claims to care about human rights and values abroad is ignoring them at home. And on that point, uh, you, uh, you, you say that one of the maybe the real tests, the first real test came and you, you, you alluded to it a little earlier with the firing of James Comey. Because this one attack, this was an attack on an institution of government, the Department of Justice, the FBI, um, and and Lindsey Graham had been a big fan and pray, had praised Jim Comey, and yet Trump fired him. He fired Jeff Sessions. He tried to fire Robert Mueller, and again, Lindsey Graham just basically looked the other way. Right, and and so this is how a lot of people, not just politicians, think. We we like to tell ourselves that we're rational, we use our reason to figure out what's right or wrong. But the truth is mostly we choose what we want to believe and then we use reason to justify our beliefs. So at this point, Graham wants to, he's invested in Trump, he's in Trump's orbit. Trump has just done this blatantly authoritarian act of firing the FBI director. And he will go on, as you point out, to continue this with, with attempts on Mueller and with getting rid of Jeff Sessions and so forth. And so, Graham wants to justify why, why he should support this president and, and defend him. And so he starts moving a bunch of goalposts. He, he knows that Comey is telling the truth. Yeah, at various points, he says things that, that reveal that Graham does believe Comey's memos. He believes what happened. Um, and he just, he comes up. So he starts moving these goalposts. He says, he changes his portrayal of Comey, right? Comey is no longer mm -hmm. a fine man. Now he's a, he's a political operative who's out to get the president. Right. Right. Prior to this, you know, uh, Graham had said, you know, uh, he had this thing about the about hesitation or fear. Anyone who's investigating the president, he said in March of 2017, should be able to do so without hesitation or fear. Well, what does, what does he then find out? What did Graham find out about Trump? He finds out that, number one, Trump has fired the guy in charge of the investigation. Number two, Trump has said out loud to Lester Holt that I was thinking about Russia when I did it. Trump mm -hmm. has even talked to the Russian foreign minister about this. I got rid of this guy who was getting in the way of my relationship with Russia. And in the memos, we, you know, Graham sees that Trump 
fired Comey after he Comey didn't listen to Trump when Trump said drop the investigation of Mike Flynn. So you have this flagrant obstruction of justice. And what Graham does is he changes his standard. He says, you know, that stuff about hesitation or fear. The new standard is as long as what Trump did doesn't literally end the investigation. You know, Comey is gone, but now somebody else, Andy McCabe or whoever gets fired after McCabe is fired, somebody else will take up the investigation. So it's not obstruction of justice, which, of course, he had to change his standard because under his previous standard, what Trump did was obviously an attempt to instill hesitation or fear in the investigators who were investigating him. Um, so moving forward and jumping over a lot because we just have a little time together here today. We get to the end of Trump's first term um, and Donald, and then the election of 2020. And Donald Trump, of course, refuses to accept it. And again, Lindsey Graham, um, the believer in, insti- in, in our institutions, the believer in, in our democracy, actually not only supports Donald Trump, but he gets actively involved in trying to make the case that there was massive voter fraud, uh, even calling. Uh, the Secretary of State uh, of Georgia, right? I mean, to say became an enabler. Right. Yeah. uh, I mean, first of all, Graham was all over TV during that period promoting the, the, the lies about the stolen election. And he said, Bill, among other things, that Democrats only win by cheating in elections, which is the thing that Trump said, which it guarantees that there will be an uprising because you're telling people that elections can't be fair in this country. The other yep. side won. They must have cheated. That's a recipe for a, for an insurrection. So he promoted that, as you point out. You know, called into Georgia. Um, there were other things that Graham did, and and to my mind, Bill, one of the most upsetting things is Lindsey Graham did a press conference on January seventh, right after the insurrection, and he said in that press conference that Donald Trump would never accept that he had legitimately lost that election, and he said Graham said that Trump might use violence again. He Graham was asked, you know, do you trust him not to use incite violence again? And Graham said, I hope he doesn't. But, you know, just in case, we're going to keep the 25th Amendment ready. And it's amazing, isn't it, that after a senator has acknowledged that this guy will never accept that he lost and might use violence again, Lindsey Graham tries and to this day is trying to bring back Donald Trump as president of the United States. He even gave that, as you point out, Privately, in a uh, phone call to the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, uh, he said, you better watch out. We're going to we're going to go for the 25th Amendment. Right. Unless Donald Trump does something to condemn the violence. And then he gave that famous count me out speech on the Senate floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think people misunderstand the count me out speech, because one of the things that I learned in my research was that, in fact, Lindsey Graham from the from within five or six days after the 2020 election was already promoting the idea and promoting privately to Trump, the idea that Trump should come back and run for president again in 2024, exactly what's unfolding today. In fact, Lindsey Graham never abandoned that plan. Mm -hmm. And that speech that he gave on the floor of the Senate that everyone remembers was not, in fact, count me out of Trump. It was count me out of contesting the 2020 election. We're done with that. We're going to, I'm going Uh, to accept that, but I'm going to bring this guy back. And you, you mentioned that in your view, the lowest point that Lindsey Graham reached was when he, uh, when the second impeachment, based on the insurrection, the attempted coup, that Lindsey Graham's message was, uh, 
if you try this impeachment, there's going to be violence. And if you and the only way to stop the violence is to stop the impeachment. A threat, basically, right? Mm-hmm. That there'll yeah. be more violence if you if you go forward with impeachment. Right. Um, he, Graham went on Hannity. They spent, he spent that whole day. That was right when the House was impeaching Trump. Graham's trying to stop Congress from doing this. And Bill, I, I want to be fair to Lindsey Graham. He did not encourage violence. He did not explicitly promote violence. But let's be clear. He used violence. He used the fact that there had just been a violent attack on the Capitol. And he said to Congress, if you if you act further against Trump legally, if you use this legal impeachment process, there will be more violence in this country. And he proposed a trade. If you back off Congress, if you don't try to punish Trump, and he pretended that Trump was leaving power when in fact Graham planned to bring him back in, but let's set that aside for a moment. If you will agree not to pr- prosecute Trump, then his supporters won't commit violence. So Lindsey Graham was, if not encouraging, he was leveraging the mm-hmm. prospect of violence. And Bill, I think that is an unforgivable step in this country. I think that is, in my view, the lowest thing that Lindsey Graham did in, in has done so far in all of his enabling of Trump. Um. And before we take a break, I have to say, so my favorite line in the entire book, uh, was just brilliant. You compare Lindsey Graham's groveling at this time to Liz Cheney's courageous standing <laughs> up to Donald Trump. And the phrase I just love is Lin- Liz Cheney proved to be, quote, the man that Lindsey Graham had once been. Right. Right. (laughs) And I I think hopefully it gives the lie to the the myth that men are more courageous than women. Uh, It's when I got to this part of the story, it really struck me that um, the extent to which Liz Cheney was playing the role that Graham had played several years earlier. Graham, what I mean, including Trump, all of Trump's attacks on Liz Cheney two years ago were the same attacks Trump used against Lindsey Graham. He's, uh, she's a warmonger. That was one of his lines about Graham, right? She's low in the polls. Nobody cares about her. She's going to lose. Uh, that, that was another one. And the back in the old days, Lindsey Graham was just as firm about the Constitution as Liz Cheney was a couple of years ago. But there's obviously a difference in the personalities because Liz Cheney has held firm in a way that Lindsey Graham never did. Uh, Again, our guest today, Will Salaton from The Bulwark and author of the new book available on Kindle, The Corruption of Lindsey Graham, an important subtitle, A Case Study in the Rise of Authoritarianism. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. And today's podcast is brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They're the union members that we see and who greet us and who serve us probably more than anybody else. The people who work in our great retail chains like Nordstrom's and Macy's, the big grocery chains like Giant and Safeway, the people who run our chemical plants, our cannabis plants, meat processing plants, poultry processing plants, all members of the UFCW. We salute them for their great work uh, serving us and for their support of the Bill Press Prod, check out their website at ufcw.org. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. 
And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on the Bill Press Potter yesterday, Will Salatin. You know him uh, 25 years with Slate Magazine and now... Uh, one of the principal writers on The Bulwark. Again, I've encouraged you before. I encourage you again, do what I've done and subscribe to The Bulwark. Uh, it is a must-read for me uh, every day with Charlie Sykes and Will Salatan, Tim Miller, Mona Sharon, Amanda Carpenter, and uh, a lot of other good friends there. Uh, a great site and a great book now from Will Salatan. So, Will, you talk about authoritarianism and the lessons that you learned at the end of the book I mean, one of the big lessons is even in a democracy, it's easy to drift there, and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens little by little, right? Right. I mean, if it were sudden, you would notice, right? Um, one of the funny things is today, uh, I, I shouldn't say funny, but one of the ironic things, the people who presently defend Donald Trump's authoritarianism, who want to bring it back, now that Donald Trump is increasingly clear about his authoritarianism and who did defend it all along, never saw themselves that way. They, they think they're good, you know, little D, small D Democrats. They think they represent, they, mm -hmm. you know, the, the America as it's always been. They would laugh off the idea that what they're defending is authoritarianism. It isn't until you enumerate, if you go through the things Donald Trump did that they that they defended, that you start to see a checklist of authoritarianism. You know, uh, if the president can fire anyone who investigates him, uh, okay, that's one. Um, yeah. If the president can expand his power, can usurp? Can usurp the the power over appropriations that is in the Constitution? And people like Lindsey Graham defend him as they did. That's another one. Um, if the president can refuse to accept election results and can in, interfere in various judicial and other processes to try to overturn the election, and ultimately, of course, using political violence. You know, when you stand back, Bill, obviously all of this is authoritarian, but because it's incremental, these people slid into it without realizing that's what they were doing. And I guess another factor is if people are afraid to take him on, right? If the people around him, like fellow Republicans, are afraid to criticize him on anything, um, they're already they're already in the in the mix, right? And and you know people underestimate in the course of history how important cowardice is, right? We like to think, well, the Nazis could only have happened, or the Gulags could only have happened, or you know various purges and various illiberal regimes could have happened only if there were lots and lots of evil people around one dangerous man, and that's not true. 
you only need one really evil person. Mm-hmm. It, cowardice yeah. supplies the rest. And what we see in today's Republican Party, and this is particularly ironic because this is a party full of leaders who claim that they, you know, stand up against against tyranny, against tyrants abroad, uh, the Chinese regime, Putin, whoever, although that's increasingly in question. But in their own country, these self-styled hawks, they absolutely rolled over like doves, right? They 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 appeased a tyrant in their own midst. And so that's that's one of the tragedies of what happened here. And it, one thing that that I found troubling is there seems to be um, a hidden desire uh, among a lot of Americans um, for somebody really strong, you know, for somebody who who's going to kick ass, right, and 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 shake things up. Uh, even a bully. I mean, I remember, you know, Chris Christie when he was mayor, and he'd take on the teachers' unions, right, and everybody loved it. Oh man! And there was that. There's that side of leadership that some people yearn for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a paradox of democracy, right? You, you and yeah. I, we believe in democracy. The people listening to us would say, well, we all believe in democracy. The people, the people will decide and we should accept, we should honor the people's verdict. That's what our country's all about. What do you do then when so many Americans want to be bossed around when so many Americans are sympathetic to authoritarianism. You have to accept their verdict, but they'll break the system if they if they choose someone like Trump. I mean, imagine that Donald Trump is now reelected as president of the United States. He's made it quite clear that he'll try to, you know, mow down the civil service, install his own political flunkies, that he'll go even further in trying to uh, expand his power and destroy institutions. What do you do if twice the American public chooses such a man? Um, it's it's just a challenge of running a democracy to honor the people's judgment, but somehow to find you have to find ways to discourage people from making such bad choices. You, we talked about cowardice. You also mentioned something out that some other factor that comes into play, and that is, I like the phrase normalization. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. what do you what do you mean by that, and uh, how does it work? Well, it's it's I think this is I think Hannah Arendt is one of the people who's written most about this. That people just get used to things. You know, mm-hmm. you you think it can't things can't happen in this country. We can't have a tyrant. We we won't lose our rights. But it turns out when somebody comes in who starts taking things away, people just get used to it. And that's what happened with Donald Trump. So many politicians who were initially horrified by Trump. You can't propose to ban an entire religion from this country, right? That's against our constitution. That won't happen. But, you know, within a couple of years, Donald Trump, so Donald Trump proposed, let's take that Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. He he first proposes it in December of 2015. And he actually looks around the room to see how it'll go over. And people like it. And he, you know, he doesn't get enough pushback. A lot of politicians at that time, including Lindsey Graham, said, you can't do this. It's unconstitutional. In the middle of 2016, the summer of 2016, Trump comes back with a slightly tweaked version of it. He's been coached on how to present it, so he's framed it around certain countries. And now you have more of these Republicans saying, well, that's okay, Chris Christie and others, I think, mm-hmm. that's okay. By the, by March of 27, by actually January of 2017, he comes into office and he's got a, a third version of it. And now they're all on board. You just gradually accept, you normalize, you become numb to this thing and you just cease to react against it. It's like the frog boiling in water. Is what we see with Donald Trump um, 
a religious cult or a political political religious cult yeah yeah it is um and it's uh, i'm thinking of uh, a, a couple of lines that lindsey graham said about trump he you know, he originally rejected the cult, but then he ends up saying things like in, the, in uh, 2021, after the coup attempt, uh, Trump is at this point out of he's leave, he's left office. And this is the chance that Graham and other Republicans have to shed this guy to say, OK, we don't need him anymore. We're going to go with somebody who's saner and res respects American principles. And instead, Lindsey Graham literally said that Donald Trump was the organizing principle to the Republican Party. A man is the organizing principle. And as you and I both know, there's that's so dangerous because if you have a principle and a platform, you can point to it and say, this man who claims to represent us is violating this principle that we stand for. But if you get rid of your platform, as the Republicans did, and you say this man is the organizing principle, then you are going wherever he goes. And as we saw in Trump's case, he, that will extend into political violence. It will extend into ethnic persecution. It's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, and re we remember that the party adopted that in 2020 when they said, we don't need a party platform, uh, <laughs> right? Our platform mm -hmm. is whatever Donald Trump wants. <laughs> right, right. You know, and one of the things in this story that surprised me was, uh, you know, back to the Muslim ban, Lindsey Graham said, well, I'm not going to do that. That's a very firm principle of mine. And then we get, so that's 20, late 2015. There's a change in 2017. He starts to accept it. In 2019, Bill, a lot of people forget this. Remember when Trump came out and said that the members of the squad, Ilhan Omar and AOC and yeah. a couple others, had should go back to their countries. These are American citizens. Yeah. Most of them, he yeah. was just, these are women who were born in this country, but ethnically, religiously, Trump kind of othered them and said they should go back. And the crowd said, you know, send them back, send them back. And Lindsey Graham rationalize this. And and Bill, this really struck me because I don't want to draw too many comparisons to a place like Nazi Germany. But when you ask the question, can it happen here? That happened here. The president of the United States targeted members of Congress based on their ethnicity and their religion and said they should be driven out of the country. And Lindsey Graham, one of the senators who you would have at least expected to defend this, defended it. And that is really frightening. We should all think about it. You wrap up your uh, epilogue there where you talk about the lessons learned with, I thought, a very uh, a very <laughs> a strong warning to the American people where you say, quote, the more you submit, the more you forget what you first believed. That's certainly true of Lindsey Graham, isn't it? Sort of sums him up almost. It is. It is. And and but but part of the reason why I wanted to detail this story about him was not so that all of us could read this story and say, you know, ha ha, Lindsey Graham, he's a he's an empty suit. He never stood for anything. Let's make sure we don't have any more Lindsey Graham's in government. I think I want us to look at ourselves and ask, could that happen to me? How did this happen? I want to everyone to understand how you boil in the water so that we don't boil. And, and you have to remember who you are. And the first time the first time you are asked to compromise an important principle, you have to draw the line then, as Jim Comey did and Lindsey Graham didn't, because that's the only way you remember who you are and what you believe. And that's how you stop America from becoming just another country that succumbed to fascism. Oh, so finally, let me ask you, when you look at 2016 and then you look at 2020 and some would say, well, we saved democracy in 2020 by rejecting a second term for Donald Trump. But is the real test for our democracy 2024 and not 2020? 
meaning <laughs> democracy more on the line in 2024 with the real possibility of bringing Donald Trump back to the White House? Yes. Well, it's. I would put it this way. I wouldn't say 2024 is the real test. I would say that we should never delude ourselves that the last election, an election in which we prevented the worst, is is the end of it. It's there will uh -huh. there will first even if Bill if if Donald Trump loses in 2024, what makes us think he isn't running again in 2028? But <laughs> but let me just add to that. To me, Trump is not the story, because yeah. there will be other Trumps, and the fact that Trump succeeded means that there will be other people trying who who have recognized that there is an authoritarian strain in America and in much of our electorate. They will come in and try to fill that role. So we're going to have to be eternally vigilant, well beyond the Donald Trump. The book is The Corruption of Lindsey Graham, A Case Study in the Rise of Authoritarianism. Will Saladon, thank you uh, for your, your time today on the Bill Press Pod, and thank you for a wake-up call to all of us about what's happening in this country. Will, good to talk to you. Thank you, Bill. And that's it for today's podcast with Will Salatan. Again, I really encourage you to uh, check out, sign up for, subscribe to The Bulwark with Charlie Sykes and Will Salatan and so many others. And um, thank you for subscribing to the Bill Press Pod. Now, we'll be back on Friday with our reporters roundtable. It's a busy week. Another big summit meeting on the debt ceiling at the White House with President Biden and the four leaders of Congress uh, on Tuesday. We expect Ron DeSantis to announce for president, perhaps before the end of the week, maybe even Rick Perry and Chris Christie. We'll keep an eye on all of it for you and wrap it up Friday with our Reporters Roundtable. Have a great week, everybody. Come back Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>